Hello and welcome to Art Witch, the podcast where creativity, magic, and healing align for personal and collective liberation. I'm your host, Zanetta, and welcome. Art Witch aims to provide resources for creative empowerment, helping folks make and share their art and also find their authentic expression. In this podcast, you'll hear from a variety of artists, witches, and healers, as well as experts in various art industries and related fields, all with the intention of helping folks share their art and their unique magic with the world. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode. I'm really, really joyed to have Maria Molteni on our podcast today. It's so awesome to get to talk to her about her work. She's a transdisciplinary multimedia artist who offers such a wide and beautiful range of artistic expression to the world. Maria, welcome. Hello. Thank you for having me. It's such a joy to be with you today. I've just been kind of loosely following your work for, I don't know, maybe like the last six months or so. I feel like I really found you maybe pre-pandemic a little bit. (laughs) If we're going like, you know, BCE. So I'd love to ask you, you know, how you got into all these works, these forms of expression, you know, just a little bit of background on your creative mystical journey up until this point. Well, I grew up in Nashville, Tennessee, and my family has been in Tennessee for a long time on both sides. One side immigrated from Italy, but still a little ways back. And I don't really know what brought them to Tennessee, but they got there pretty quickly. They came on down pretty pretty quickly. And the other side were like farming land in Tennessee, a little north of Nashville for a few generations. And so I don't really have an art background in my family, but I have no shortage of sort of creative inspiration and full wild lifestyles. <laughs> my maternal grandparents were like farmers and competitive square dancers. And my grandfather, Buford, was a stunt motorcyclist. And my grandmother, Lila, was a teacher in a one-room schoolhouse. And like, they did all sorts of things. You know, they just had kind of a, a lively time. I, I almost said kind of a wild life, but I do know that they even describe parts of their life as a little boring in their opinion, because they didn't really get to leave where they were. And it was very simple and humble, but I also think that they really made the most of what they had. And I feel like that has definitely come down to me. My paternal grandfather, who I never met, uh, was an opera singer. I kind of communicate with him through whistling. I can't sing to save my life. And his wife, my paternal grandmother, painted China. So, I mean, there's definitely a lot of creative expression in my familial background, my ancestry, but not overtly. And you know, Nashville didn't even have an art museum. Like it's big for music, but yeah, there wasn't anywhere to go see artwork or anything. And I was raised in a very Catholic household and I went to Catholic school for 10 years. 
So in some ways, the things I'm up to now, in some ways, a late blooming, you could say, but through a lot of searching personally, but I also feel like I had a lot at my fingertips at a young age. So Nashville is kind of this like wild place that does have a lot of cultural ephemera and art, you could say. It's a very interesting place. And like my grandmother kind of grew up very similarly to Dolly Parton. Like my grandmother, without being as maybe fabulous as Dolly Parton, like says a lot of the same things that she does. And so there's definitely a lot to draw from, but just not necessarily in this academic fine art context. And my parents are both very creative in their own ways and encouraged me to be creative. But, you know, that I was playing sports since I was like seven years old. I played like six sports for 10 years, like a couple seasons a year. And it was like a really big part of Catholic community in the South because it was very, very Christian dominant. But even within that, it's very, very Protestant dominant. So the Catholic community, like while I am a white person and have a lot of privileges in that way, the Catholic community, I think, feels a bit marginalized. And so there's kind of like stick together and I think proves themselves, like the Catholic community kind of proves itself through athletics. And so I was actually like playing sports against the daughters of my father's athletic nemeses in high school. <laughs> <laughs> And it was almost like this funny family dynasty situation, like you had to like defend the Maltini name. So yeah, I just spent like a lot of my childhood like being interested in art and wanting to be an artist, even though I didn't really know what that was. But I I feel like there was this artist-saint-athlete triangle thing happening in my mind, where I kind of equated them. And I used to tell people when I was little, like, I want to grow up to be an artist and a professional basketball player. I also wanted to be a saint (laughs) and I thought like an artist and a saint were kind of the same thing. I would have to agree with that. (laughs) I would have to 100% agree with that. Okay. Tell me your thought on that because I've never heard anyone else agree with me on that. Well, I mean, I think of saints as mere humans who in their lifetimes transcended, transcended the kind of trappings of you know, the dominant overculture and kind of access something that was for a greater benefit of the larger collective. So when I think of saints, I think as folks who were channeling through their lives as they lived and moved through the world and the decisions that they made and how they expressed themselves and what they stood for, when they stood for it, the juxtaposition of their placement relative to what was happening at the time of their existence just takes on a different meaning. It's a form of art in and of itself. And where that comes from is definitely beyond what they were accessing in their societies. It's not beyond like in a hierarchical sense, but it's something outside of the fence of of the known world well it's beyond also like the conservative sort of context that it's that they're then later talked about you know like the virginity and and all of this you know um it's beyond the way the way they are later presented the saints lives yes and i think that i haven't really grown up so much personally with saints but i grew up Funnily enough, my name actually is a derivative of the word saint. So I grew up with this really weird connection to that word. And my middle name is Faith. And so 
I grew up kind of like in my own kind of half occult, half hyper-religious household and like kind of in a more Methodist home. And so I didn't really necessarily interact with a lot of saints, but I had a lot of Catholic friends in my neighborhood and just the idea of these archetypal figures to me, I, that's how I envisioned them. You know, like this is the embodiment of creativity. This is the embodiment of empathy or something like that. Mm -hmm. And that's how I kind of connected with saints loosely. And so many of them were like young women too. So I think I just, you know, in terms of like seeing yourself in stories or there being a place for like your own sort of image, especially in like the stories where like Mary appears to children in various parts of the world that had an insane impact on me. I mean, my little sister and I used to put on performances in the living room of Mary appearing to us. And I had a very intense connection with Mary and a very consistent practice of prayer at a very young age that I'm still trying to get back to. Like if I could have the focus and meditation that I had when I was seven or nine or 10, I would be meeting some of my current goals. You know, thinking about those early connections to Mary and thinking about those early connections to the magical, the mystical, would you share a little bit about your explorations into, say, magic or witchcraft or kind of expanding outside of what you were accessing as a child? Well, it's just so interesting because sometimes I find myself saying I'm kind of new to some of this to people, you know, or like when people like to say baby witch or whatever, you know, sometimes I'm like, well, I'm kind of new to some of this. And it's even as I'm saying that, I'm like, that's a lie. I'm not (laughs) because like, just because I haven't had a certain framework or words for the type of mysticism that I come from or embody or am moving towards doesn't mean it it hasn't been actually incredibly present my whole life. And that's kind of why I mentioned the thing about praying to Mary as a kid. I have kept some parts of Catholicism with me. There's some really cool things about it. And it's totally witchcraft, like a lot of it is. So even though I don't really identify as Catholic anymore, I'm not so allergic to talking about it. But I do know a lot of people who have actually been part of some pretty intense Christian or other organizations they might call culty that left them with some healing, some trauma to heal. But even so, they were so deeply involved that they did develop these really prolific practices of meditation. You know, like I've had some friends that were in some pretty conservative, actually Christian groups that actually did a lot of dream work and like prayer for like hours and hours and hours. They would keep track of their dreams and pray for like 10 hours and, you know, have these retreats and things. And, you know, they feel like they sort of survived or escaped that context. However, they are very plugged in now. Right. It doesn't, it almost doesn't really matter what religion or philosophy they were signing on to. They were working on their gifts. That's why I feel like I'm new to being able to talk about some of these things. And sometimes I feel a little self-conscious actually about how little I know about various mystical practices or mythology. I mean, I kind of forget a lot of honestly, like my God and goddess mythology, Mm -hmm. even that we did learn in school. And I'm always kind of feeling a little behind, but at the same time, I have to remind myself, you know, I've been having these 
intense experiences my whole life and actually saying yes to them for most of my life. And it was really the time that I was kind of going through my angsty rejection of Christianity that was maybe the least fruitful spiritually. And it's something I just had to go through. But it was that time when I was kind of thinking you had to kind of choose one or the other to be like religious or an atheist or something like that. Right. But I feel like I have a net that I'm catching things in and I move really intuitively. I say yes to things. I follow things. The more I get out of my own way, the more everything grows. And I put a lot of pressure on myself to grow my spiritual practice and like my meditation and my practice of receiving messages and things. But I find that the more I'm just flowing through my life and actually my body, like moving around or walking, dancing, that's when stuff just starts to happen. So, you know, I ended up in Boston after after, uh, growing up in Nashville, I went to college in Boston. But, you know, going straight to New England was such a bizarre thing for me because I am actually so fascinated with a lot of these magical practices from like spiritualism to, you know, actual witchcraft to the shakers that does kind of have this bleak puritan aesthetic like cloud over it Mm -hmm. (laughs) that is both um, something to unpack politically and culturally in terms of white supremacy and but also like kind of enticing because I find the bleakness of it a little bit alluring (laughs) and so I have studied the shakers now for over 12 years including like visiting the last two surviving shakers well now there's because a few more have joined but at the time there were three and then there were two and you know I've been working with them and I, I started going to like Sufi chanting um, circles in Boston after being invited into a circle I am a practicing spiritualist and member of Lake Pleasant um, which is the other oldest spiritualist community and so like I am involved in all these other things now but I still feel like I'm always kind of learning and yeah in some ways like a newbie but I'm just kind of following this weird path. And for the most part, I've let it find me. I've found at times I really wanted to learn more about Buddhism or Taoism really resonates with me a lot. When I read about it, it just feels right, like in the gut. I feel like I have to be invited. That's not like my criteria for everyone, but my life falls in a certain way where I'm invited and called towards something. I just sort of follow. And so that's all I've been doing is just following I feel like this is really powerful for us to hear because there is a lot of information available about, you know, if you're a witch, then you're checking out this and you're doing this. Or if you're, you know, you have a meditation practice, then that means that you're doing X, Y, Z things and it looks and feels a certain way. And it's just very easy for the same information about these practices to be propagated over and over and over and over and over again. That is a form to me of stagnation, honestly. But there's like, what, 10 memes at any given moment that are telling you like what crystals are supposed to do this. And the thing is, is how did someone discover any of that or decide on any of that? It's through a personal truth and a personal relationship that gets developed over time to these practices. And like that can't really happen just by merely being told that this is what it does or that this is what it is that you have to kind of live and and be with it and, and develop a relationship. And this kind of brings me actually to my next question about your work, because, you know, 12 years is deep time. (laughs) That's not a small amount of time to devote to exploring 
a topic or getting connected to a community. And in a previous episode with Kate Thornhill, where we were talking about copyright and we were talking about archiving. That was such a great episode. I love that episode so much. And Kate was just such a gem about this idea of research as being a sacred practice of devotion. And I'd love to hear about your connection and relationship to research, how that's developed over time and, you know, where you're landing with it now. Well, that's actually kind of a great segue into what I, a little what I was going to say, because um, so there are just so many things I could point to in terms of the progression of witchcraft, right? Or the evolution of becoming a witch or realizing I'm a witch. But one really influential experience was like this summer camp that I went to for five years that was in Tennessee. It wasn't super far from Nashville and it was all girls and um, it had been started as a Catholic camp, but it wasn't Bible school. It was just kind of, again, I'm talking about like the Catholic community is tight in the South and just sort of forms its own systems. And so it had been started by the Catholic church, but it wasn't really Catholic anymore except that the bishop would come once a summer and offer a mass. Mm-hmm. And funny enough, the one time he came, he actually caught a bunch of us like skinny dipping across the lake and we got in trouble. <laughs> but it was like, <laughs> speaking of it was very witchy. Like there was a lot of like kind of crazy ritual that we did. And it wasn't like, oh, the counselors or the adults were trying to, make. it was just this kind of culture that evolved at camp among all of these young girls. And we actually had a camp witch whose name was Cheryl. Cheryl's cave like was this this, like little tiny cave we had on the property that um, we would like dare each other to sleep in and there was like a pot of candy or money or you know that you would get if you slept in it and we told like a lot of really crazy ghost stories but also we were just naked all the time (laughs) basically we had to uh, get used to community showers and then no one ever wanted to put their clothes on after that basically and we would just walk around like down in senior camp and they had to make a rule that we had to at least have a towel with us around camp (laughs) and we would wake up in the middle of the night and people would be like oh I have to pee so we'd be like well here I'll go with you and so we'd end up having these group pee parties is like what we would call it and we would literally join hands like basically in like a five-pointed star shape and lean out and everyone would just pee at the same time. (laughs) That's incredible. I vote for everyone having that experience at least once in their lives. (laughs) I know. I'm like, we need to make this happen again. And I mean, this is just wild to talk about this stuff. And it wasn't like we, no one was like, oh yeah, we're witches or anything. It's just, this is what sometimes young women and young people do, but it was really, it left a big impression. And then like, as I grew up, the artwork I was making, other people I'm sure this is a common experience, but other people started calling me a witch. Mm. It was like, oh, I dropped my bike off at the local bike mechanic to get it fixed. And he was like, you remind me of Glenda. You're like a good witch. And then some friend of mine who's a performance artist had a dinner party. And the theme of the party was, I always knew you were a witch. And she like invited people that she felt like she could say that to. And then I was telling another friend about this performance I did with like bees and honey and like a basketball where I was like stinging myself with bees. And he was like, wow, you're such a witch. And it was like, everyone just started telling me that. This was also kind of pre like when everything got witchy, you know, the recent wave of everything getting witchy, you know, it was just like these random people that I didn't even think were into magic were just kind of saying that to me. So I also just think that that's probably a common thing. 
for other people where people start calling you a witch or a healer. I know a lot of people will just be asked to perform certain tasks, right, to heal people or to help people in various ways. And if the universe starts encouraging you to use and find and own these, these skills or these identities. And so it was kind of just unfolding itself to me. That's so interesting. First, that the idea of this camp was a natural rewilding, which is an inherent connection to magic, right? Like remembering the magic that already exists within and without. And regardless of titles, names, books that you've read, you know, like if you self-identify as XYZ, you know, witch or tradition or something, you all were kind of tapping into that, just naturally being in nature and being together as a community and that that just kind of found its way when like kind of removed from, you know, school and having to be with your families all the time or whatever obligations. This is actually just what takes place when it's left unchecked. And then I think also about what you were saying that folks started telling you, hey, I see you as a witch. They were reflecting back to you the magic that you've been like sharing all along and putting that name to it. And I'm sure a lot of folks can relate. They're like, well, I never thought of myself that way, but huh, interesting. And it's almost like you were already just kind of doing it naturally. It didn't really require you to to name it and claim it necessarily. But that is an important process too, that I don't want to diminish when people decide to use the word witch and decide to claim that identity for themselves. Because I do think that that's a pivotal moment, especially in accessing another layer of confidence and another layer of magical empowerment in a sense is to go and say, yeah, that's on my resume straight up. I think I applied to a a fellowship last year and I talked all about my witchcraft practice in that fellowship. And it was really empowering for me personally to just say, regardless of what you decide, this is going to happen. And it felt like such a spell to just be like, boom. (laughs) Absolutely. And and it's hard at first to like, to take on the title. For me, I was kind of, you know, excited for people to say that. But I was also like, Oh, no, I don't know any like, I'm not a witch. I like it was like too much of an honor to take that title or something. And then thanks to all the sort of living guides that have spread their knowledge and influence, I found that like, you actually can claim it and should claim it. And so, you know, it became less scary. And it also has become more evident, you know, that things have happened in past lives that have made in this life left behind a little bit of a fear of owning it right because it was not as easy to just say you were with so I have respect for that as well you know I didn't want to take it lightly yeah that witch wound it's really deep my mom is from the Philippines particularly uh, Zamboanga and you know as I've done my like due diligence as like a first gen kid to kind of learn about my mom's background and really understand more and more about the history of the islands under the umbrella of the Philippines. There's a lot of history about colonizers coming in and just killing the witches, essentially, the Babylons. And, you know, there are still Babylons in existence. And I want to like honor that, that there are living folks who are doing that work all around the world. 
but there is this wound like the salem witch trials and things like that that experience of witch persecution is one that has been echoing for a really long time and it's very natural for folks to be like oh this is a heavy word this is a weird word for me you know to have reservation about connecting to witchcraft and to also bringing that into your art and bringing that into what might be considered your livelihood it's heavy that part for me is personally really heavy when i think about if i presented one way would i be more financially stable than another way and that kind of navigating that decision is really really complicated oh it totally is i'd love to hear about your experiences kind of extent that you've self-identified or used mystical terminology or access that in presenting your work, especially let's think of institutional fine art spaces, or if you're putting in work at a corporate location, there's all these different places where our work can be exhibited and can be shared with a wider audience. And what extent of bringing in the mystic aspect, the magic aspect have you explored and what have been your experiences so far? Even though I felt like there was more of a stigma around talking about spirituality with, you know, your art practice, even like 10 years ago or something, it's been very present the whole time. And I've always been really explicit about that. And I think like one of the reasons I talked so much about the Catholicism was I, I tried to just make it part of my biographical context. Oh, I grew up this way. And so I'm using this thing from my culture you know, to talk about this or that. And that's kind of why I started to make a lot of work about basketball. And I mean, nowadays, a lot of my basketball work ends up being about kind of like queerness and political issues and all these things simultaneously as the rest. But the first pieces I made about basketball were actually these like rituals that were shooting free throws. And like I made these um, beeswax candles and was actually using honey from like a beehive that I was keeping raising and honey I extracted myself and like was doing these like kind of free throw rituals where I was actually praying the rosary while shooting because that's what I used to do as a kid. And I guess I was keeping it so rooted in Catholicism for so long because I felt like that was just a framework that I could pull from my own life between that and athletics. And then, you know, at times I was more explicit about, well, I'm, I'm actually kind of serious about this stuff. Like, I'm not just referencing a thing I grew up with. Like, I'm still searching through these issues. And I think just over time, especially as I have found more of, like, quote, my people or been encouraged by other mystical people or witches. I mean, somewhere in this interview, I have to say that my friend Grace Cradell has just been, like, a huge supportive influence in my life, like just encouraging me. She's always encouraging people to like come out of the witch closet and like fully embrace their power, you know? But yeah, just, I think slowly over time, I just started to be like, okay, this isn't just about this thing. It also is the thing, if that makes sense. Like this isn't just about my cultural context that I came out of, which is Catholicism. This actually is my spiritual journey and search. And then also simultaneously, like whether it's because Neptune went into Pisces or whatever, you know, people started coming out of the witch closet in general and people are talking more about mysticism openly in general. And now it's just sort of something that people have at least heard more about in pop culture. 
And then, you know, I, I feel like the Homa Afklint show at the Guggenheim opened the floodgates, basically, for all of us. You know, now you can just be like, yeah, I channel work, I'm a medium, whatever, you know, like she was, thanks to these ancestors, right, who have kind of opened the doors for us, um, even if it was more difficult in their own lifetimes. I feel like the way Hamas Clint has made it easier for a lot of us to sort of come out and just be um, transparent about what we are, like our mediumship or channeling our mystical practices. I feel like all of these artists are doing that for us. Hopefully the choices we make now and being more open about our practices will also do that for the next generation. I think that you're on to something with that. It doesn't happen in a flip of a switch there's waves of folks who are sharing their authentic truth and finding ways to reimagine the world and the systems by which they work in. And at the same time as it makes it easier for us, it also becomes another facet of commodification. And this is something that like a lot of us are struggling with, which is how to present our work. On your website page, you say, my work is conceptual, formal, socially engaged, deeply researched, collaborative, contemplative, and mystical. I don't believe in genre or media divisions. Browse my work intuitively below or use menus to, quote, search categorically if you must. That was really striking to me because you get into this already. You're like, fuck these kind of like limiting categories or the need to categorize in this way. It's kind of like what you were talking about earlier. You're called into these things. You try these things. You explore. You experiment. And it, it just kind of organically unfolds in different ways. And it's not like, okay, and now I'm going to go. I'm going to be a researcher in just this. There was no categorization at the start of those journeys and explorations. And yet on the tail end, being asked to kind of say, okay, you have this work. Now you have to go and like put it into a genre so that people of the public can access it or that curator can go and determine whether or not that's part of their, you know, exhibit or something. I'd love to hear about your experiences navigating that presentation of your work. Yeah, that is such a great question because I, it has been a real struggle. Like, I'm really stubborn about it. Like, I believe that I can try to synthesize all of this in one. I just don't know why people think you have to or should make work that is like only formal and not socially conscious or socially conscious and part of a social practice movement and doesn't consider, you know, formal issues or aesthetic, I think you can consider all of it and you don't have to consider all of it. I mean, I think each artist should just work to their gifts and their genuine interests. But I've had a lot of sort of critique or advice given to me, you know, even feedback from applications where they're like, there's just too many sides of you. Like you have to represent one or two sides of yourself. And I get it. I mean, as someone who also reads applications, sometimes, you know, it's, it's overwhelming in general. But I mean, honestly, like my complexity is something that I w won't apologize for or stifle because I think it's like the most basic part of who I am. I think it's sort of seeing 
all of these different fields, right, or interests or points of view that I sort of try to bring together. But yeah, I mean, it's funny, I get called like the bee lady or the basketball girl or all of these things. And, you know, it's fine and playful. And, you know, it's interesting, too, because sometimes I feel like my work gets a little bit, I don't want to say dumbed down, because I don't think children are dumb at all. I think they're incredibly smart. But like, sometimes people want to make me out to be like this kids artist kind of just a super babysitter because <laughs> for a while I was only getting residencies or I would only really get an opportunity if it involved a lot of child care as well and even though I love children and they're a really important part of you know cancer is my midheaven in the 10th house for example but you know I was like yeah well not only is my work more complex than this but also youth children are more complex than this you know and this can be conceptually rigorous and um, you know, part of like a real contemporary art conversation at the same time. And then other times, I think especially because I've grown as an adult in Boston, and you know, there's a lot of research and a lot of kind of cerebral people here and a lot of that context with some um, opportunities to show in university museums and university settings. I think at times my work is almost too cerebral for some people. So it's just funny, I get sort of pushed into these categories of either being a little too academic, but totally from the outside, because I'm not involved in academia at all. Obviously, my work is pretty pop, but yeah, like maybe not so much marketable is what people think because so much of it is ephemeral and performative. And Or I get pushed into this thing where I'm like a babysitter. And in fact, a lot of curators have been like, you're so wacky. You're so kooky. And I'm like, these are the mm. laziest words that you could use to describe my work, please. So yeah, I'm not going to lie that it's, it's been tricky. But also, I guess when you're doing something kind of below the surface, you know, that that is like magic. It's understandably hard for people to know how to talk about it. It's hard for me to talk about it. And it's hard for people to wrap their heads around it. But I kind of consider it one of my work and life missions to just keep on with it to just keep being complicated and difficult, I guess. Yeah. Just to try and push art forward what it can be, you know, I feel you so much on that. You know, complexity, like we are not supposed to apologize for that talk about saints, right? That's not what we're here to be doing. <laughs> that saint artist trajectory of just, you're here and it, it maybe stands in the face of that a little bit. And you're like, yep, you're going to have to deal with the fact that this is more complicated than like a bounce house for you. Yeah. Oh my gosh, exactly. Oh, the inflatables that I've made. People are like, oh, can we rent your inflatables for a youth event? And I'm like, I made that thing by hand on a tiny sewing machine. And so through my finger doing it, like, it's not a bouncy castle. <laughs> and it comes with programming and like a whole political agenda. <laughs> like, and like, you know, many years of studying with beekeepers. I have been pushed out of some of my own fields in a way because I just got fed up with it. Like I got so tired of being the mascot at like honeybee and apiculture events because honeybees have gotten so hot and trendy and I'm like I actually studied this and like did like advocacy with my bee mentors all over the country for years and people would sort of be inviting me to kind of bring my inflatable as like a mascot for these beakers that they booked but I had like major problems with a lot of their research and I would just be like this is so annoying this isn't what I am I'm not the bee lady mascot like I have a whole teaching model based on this and I have my own programming and my own methods. And with athletics, it's been similar, you know, cause it's such a sneakerhead, like dudes, you know, throwing bones to other dudes. 
you know, I've done a lot of work researching like basketball in the context of social justice and actually spirituality as well. And the reason I want to work with such accessible context and with such accessible content, besides the fact that it relates to my personal life and history, is so that I can get this platform to talk about weird things and talk about radical things. And then I've definitely succeeded at times in doing that, but I've also kind of gotten like booted out of my own world or, you know, had like my work stolen. I'm down for when it inspires other work um, or even it's like replicated by um, other organizers, you know, or teachers. But when it starts to lose its message and like what I really want is agency, you know, like I want my work to give me agency to make more work and to make more magic and to talk about the things that I value. So sometimes all these categories and people's like sort of inability to think in a more complex way um, limits what I'm able to do with it. Right. You know, I just keep chasing other ideas. Like when somebody kind of moves into my lane or whatever and like literally steals my work or just makes my um, context so annoying I don't want to work in it anymore (laughs) you know I am grateful that I I always have more ideas so I'm trying to kind of not let that get me down so much now and just be like I have a wealth of ideas like I'll never be short of ideas and like I'm very grateful to my guys for that oh I feel you so much on the stealing of work on the how to kind of continue in the face of that something that came up while I was listening to you share was the idea of a a time or situation where you felt that sense of agency actually where you felt this is the ideal for me this really does feel aligned and really helpful and if you can recall a time or situation or an opportunity to create where that was a very helpful aligned situation? That's a great question because I mean, there's plenty, you know, and I want to be very clear that I'm so grateful for all of the things that have worked because a lot really has, you know, and I'm proud of myself and my work, even despite the the ongoing frustrations. But, you know, I think that there's so many things and, and, and a lot of it because of people I was collaborating with that were so amazing and really showed up and were just like really inspiring to me as well. But um, these last two projects, uh, you know, we talked a little bit before we actually started recording about, you know, just my work does have a turning point. And even though, you know, it's like my work has had a lot of turning points because it's been about a lot of different things. It feels like it's turning in a bigger way by the universe feels like a lot of this experimentation I've been doing over the years, research and play and experimentation are all sort of one for me. So playing with all these different media was just, yeah, just kind of playing around um, and researching. And I guess it's almost like alchemy, right? Or trying to see what comes out of what combinations. And I feel like it's coming together in a way where I've proven I can do certain things now. And so I'm less like begging people to let me do something weird. And people are like, oh, can you do something weird (laughs) here? It's just nice when you can just start on the ground running and not like begging or convincing someone to like let you do do what you do. And these last two projects, it's funny because one came along the the groundwork, as I call it. Um, I mean, it is like a mural, but it's kind of different. Also, uh, the groundwork in Arkansas, Venusian Rosaceae popped out of nowhere um, in the middle of COVID. You know, it's like all my projects were canceled and it was such a grueling year and, and without 
taking lightly the very real death that so many people have experienced this year, I was definitely feeling this like sense of death around a lot of my, my work as well, um, that I felt like I was mourning, you know, but this piece, this, it's like the easiest thing that ever had. I mean, it wasn't easy to make it all, but it just came right out of nowhere and it went forward and I had like enough money and I had a great, you know, a great curator I was working with and my amazing um, friend and assistant, Randy Shandrowski, who's also an amazing artist, was willing to pod um, and work on it. And that was huge. And then like right after it was finished, a piece that went was less smooth, but came out so, so well in the end as well as this film that I shot with Gabe Elder and Allison Halter at the Fruitlands Museum in an old Shaker building. There were so many different iterations of this project that I was going to do um, that I've been working on since like 2018 or something that was going to involve these live bees and there was going to be a giant book of, of honeybees that people could look through the pages and it was such a wild project that had to get basically put to, put to rest, but totally became this other thing, um, which is sort of like a movement film in collaboration again with Allison Halter, who is an incredible artist and witch and makes these handmade brooms, um, where we actually recreated some of the drawings from my favorite period of Shaker history called um, Mother's Work or the Era of Manifestations, which just barely predated um, American spiritualism where they were making these gift drawings gifted from spirit instruments were the, na were the name of shaker artists instruments to draw the messages they were receiving and the gifts they were receiving from spirit and we ended up recreating um these drawings on the ground um these drawings called the sacred sheets um, out of cut paper on the ground and like sweeping them up in this choreographic dance that like really really felt like all the trials that i'd gone through with these projects and all of the years of sort of studying shakers and some of the wild frustrations i had just following my like jupiter return last year um, that opened many shaker portals <laughs> it just felt like uh, we finally really pulled something together um, and had like the support and the research and the context and the weather and the blessing from like spirit to do it so those two recent projects were just i am like almost daily in tears like how thankful i am that they've come about and happened and like what i will be able to do after this and weirdly timed in this like very devastating year of covid this like transformation that's happening i've talked to so many different artists this year about their experiences and it's been a wide spectrum but I've heard from a lot of people, actually, that things have come out of this time period that were very unique and very specific and special and would not have happened otherwise. So it's really cool to hear just these experiences that you've had and also hearing the shift that's happening for your work and like how you're kind of leaning into that. Do you feel like there's anything kind of like on that horizon that's calling to you at, at this time? You know, I mentioned in my like Jupiter return, there were just like all these shaker portals that just like flew open. I mean, I don't even know how to describe it. And, you know, in the middle of it all, I met with this medium who said, oh, you were definitely a shaker in at least one past life. And I was like, I, I guess I'm not shocked. And, you know, like it was crazy to hear that. But I was like, okay, this all makes more sense now. And I, th I think I'd mentioned to you in our previous conversation, like I've been designing a few 
pieces and projects that I wanted to do on kind of shaker in shaker villages or insensitive shaker sites or ground where they did certain rituals that later when I was reading texts about like revelations they received and things that they did, I realized that they had already done these things in those places. Whoa. Yeah, it's wild. My mind has been blown over the last couple of years, just like realizing I'm not even sure who's in the driver's seat, you know, in a, in a way, like doing some of this stuff. So I'm waiting to see if, if I get a grant to further some of this work on a site on a mountaintop called the Feast Ground, um, like on the border of, of Massachusetts and New York. There's a piece I want to do that is in honor and, and to continue the sort of practice of receiving messages at the top of that mountain. And it stems out of the work that I've been doing and also just this movement toward uh, making things on the ground that are in conversation with the sky, because that's basically what has happened with my basketball course and what came about with the Venusian Rosaceae, which is, you know, a giant like Dance of Venus diagram made from braided lines or transits um, with a apple core center um, outside of a contemporary art museum in Bentonville, Arkansas, the momentary you know, that was a piece we just finished that we were also talking about was like already sort of made, not just in my mind, but like kind of made in the, on another plane. I don't know how to explain it before I physically made it. And it was very much like the experiences that my assistant, Randy, I mean, like she's a very good friend of mine, happened to be my assistant. She's my overqualified assistant friend on the, on the piece. But like we were going through these really insane cycles together like we had we had a loss of a friend and a birth of a new baby and some sickness and new love and loss of love and all this stuff happening kind of at the same time that was totally being spelled out in the mythology of the piece that we were making and it was so hard to actually make it physical on the ground because it was just already there Mm. Yeah, I don't know. So it's like, these are the things that I'm going to continue on with. And I actually did speak with a reader recently who said that this was going to be happening more, that my work would be would become more and more challenging to figure out how to actually make physical, and that I would know that I was on the right path if that were the case. Yeah, and that like, it would basically all be falling to place before the work became physical. And it's very clear to me that that's happening. You know, I want to continue making these works on the ground that are in conversation with the sky and like astronomy and astrology and whatever else is up there. (laughs) You know, I know that call to create is so different for each person. But I'd love to hear a little bit about your experiences with the call to create and your relationship with that call. I love the way you're putting that, um, especially because, you know, we talked a bit earlier about when something feels like it already exists and you have to kind of make it exist more (laughs) or just like put tentacles to it, you know, make it physical. It's just that's one of the reasons I work in so many media. It's like, I'm just searching for like what media, I mean, I probably should have just started using a pendulum long, long ago, right? I could be like, does it want to be a painting? Does it want to be a performance? Many things I've made, I've made in like several ways. Like, I mean, I had this like piece about tennis scoring. It's like uh, zero is love, you know, in tennis. So I made this piece called like love, love, the tennis court oath. 
And I mean, I say I made the piece, I made that piece in my head. I had this whole like concept about like the love and the relationship of two players being tied at zero and tied in love or whatever and thought it was going to be a performance for so many years and I was like developing it as a performance and then I was like oh no it wants to be a painting and so then I made it a painting and then I was like oh wait no it wants to be it does want to be a performance and so then I made it a performance I've done things like that too where I'm like I think this painting wants to be an inflatable and so then I'll try to make it with fabric and yeah it's clumsy but I try to just em- embrace it I try to just kind of let myself be messy in that way because that's just what wants to happen and it's also part of the seeking it's part it's also part of the research it's like the physical research aspect where I'm like what does this want to be and I mean also most of the projects I take on it's the first time I've ever done that particular technique I'm like oh I'm gonna weld all these basketball hoops together into cloud shapes and then I'm like uh okay now I'm gonna learn to do that you know (laughs) and this just kind of cycles back around because the first thing I thought of when you said call to create I was thinking you were asking about, you know, almost like root chakra stuff, right? Like tentacles stuff. But for me, I feel like it's throat chakra stuff. One of the reasons, like I tell people I'm going to do stuff a lot. I'm like, oh, I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to make a big, crazy boat that has a tree in it and bees flying around or something. And then I'm like, oh gosh, I said it. And now I have to figure out how to do it. So it's like literally a call sometimes with me because the pentacles part, the root chakra part, whatever, the physical part is the hardest for me, even though I'm very present in my body and body and like physical stuff is really important to all my work. I still definitely get stuck up in the the upper the upper chakras or whatever, you know, I get stuck. You know, we just, we talked a bit earlier too about how it's almost like this exorcism where you have so much in your brain, you just need to like get it out or your body, you know, you just have stuff stored and you're like, oh, like you have to push it out because um, it's just going to feel clogged and backed up. Just now, as you said that, this past life connection, you know, and thinking about expressions that come through us through our connections to our past life and then like the resolution that they find and the reality of being executed within this lifetime. And I think, I mean, for me, I've done a lot of projects around ancestral healing. Like my great grandmother was multi-black, you know, orphan, and she was misidentified her entire life, like racially. And so I did this whole piece around multiracial identity and the moon, and then like built this altar to her and named her identity through this experience. And it was like this healing process. And so I think about what we create, like that call, like you have to get it out of your being, this exorcism almost. It's like you are reworking this energy. I don't know how you conceptualize that for yourself, but if you've had any experiences with that, in that more mystical realm of, of past lives and and intergenerational energies that go beyond one's lifetime and into others. I'd love to hear about that. Coming up with these projects on, on Shaker sites, you know, without even really looking too closely at individual gift works or trying to base it on that, I was just coming up with these sort of ways that I wanted to apply my own like forms and processes um, for like whatever channeling or, or making um, on these shaker sites. 
just to give just to be a little more concrete so it's not so vague I mean like for example like this giant inflatable beehive that I made there's it's a little too much to go into now but I have a lot of there's a lot of parallels between shakers and honeybees mostly just that they're sort of these like sort of asexual matriarchal labor-intensive societies that do ecstatic dancing <laughs> um but I, amazing yeah yeah like, <laughs> amazing. you just dropped that like so fast that was like mind-blowing this is definitely like part of like this kind of thesis I've been working on for whatever 10 or more more years you know but it's like I made this inflatable beehive and and it you know it was like it was supposed to be kind of a traveling school to talk about this like idea of assuming this like teaching model that I made up with where, you know, we, we talk about sort of linking individual parts to form an energized system or like a community, like like a beehive. And so it has a, a hexagonal skylight in the top of it, the, the, the beehive that I built. And um, I had planned to, I was going to display it at the Shaker Museum um, at Hancock Shaker Village. It ended up not being approved to be shown in this one building I was going to show it in, but I was going to show it in the center of their great round barn the idea was to try and like channel messages and um, images and, and uh, the, in the style that the shakers did through the hex, the hexagonal skylight. Um, Cause if anyone looks at my website, you can kind of see it's like this little dome with like this gorgeous um, like open. Yeah. Like hexagonal hole in the top. And you know, they were like, oh, it has not been approved to sh- but actually show in this building just because it's old and whatever. It's a long story. But they were like, but you might want to take a hike up this mountain back behind the museum. But basically, there's there's a site that the Shakers did these sort of um, more bizarre rituals that that people don't really know a whole lot about. And they were doing them in order to receive like receive spiritual nourishment. Like there was a point at the top of a mountain where they were like channeling messages. And I found out that they were doing it through this little like hexagonal fence shape that was like considered oh. like the center, <laughs> the center point called like the fountain that all of the like revelations flow through. Whoa. <laughs> like things like that, like that's not even the only thing, but no, I was, I was losing my mind. Like when I, when, when all of these things were unfolding, you know, I was like, oh, you know, it basically there were like three or four times where I was like, I'm going to do this thing. And then I was like, oh, they, they already did that. <laughs> this has already happened. Wow. It's like prophetic art making. It's a bit, it's like, but you, but you done done it. Yeah. Well, and so, but, but then it's this interesting thing because like, that's a funny trope that comes up in the art world too, right? Where you're like, oh, I'm going to like, uh whatever like you know I'm gonna do this thing and then you look up and you're like oh this uh, this other artist already did it you know and then you get a little bit like I guess I shouldn't do it or I should make sure I change it enough but in this case you're like okay does this mean I'm not supposed to do it because it already happened or does it mean like there's something to be finished here like there's a sequel like there's you know this is this this spaceship has been brought back I'm just thinking about this idea that like you know that's a pretty darn specific revelation to find this is really specific it really is no it really and I mean I'm telling you like there's like a few others like that where I was just like you know (laughs) so far what have you felt kind of in response to or how have you maybe not so much what you felt in response because I'm sure that's like still evolving and unfolding but you know what do you do 
with that information for yourself? Like when you, when you get this. Right. I mean, see, that's what's so, that is what's so interesting. And that is like the lesson that I'm learning right now. Last year was sort of my Jupiter return, which I don't know a, a ton about, but it was very clear that everything was like expanding and opening literal portals on top of mountains, you know? But I was like, I was like intoxicated by it. I mean, I was like, hi, I was just like, whoa you know I was like literally on my hands and knees on the on the grass of this mountain like looking for this hexagon and my mind was just spinning with like what oh wow like maybe I'm supposed to do this and that and like you know I even had this huge concept like you know there's a little bit of conflict between some of these different shaker villages that exist now like they're all museums and they all kind of like there's like you know drama sometimes between them and I was like maybe I'm supposed to like heal their relationships or because I was I was supposed to be showing at a few different shaker villages and you know whatever I just like had all these things and I was trying to kind of crack the code and have the answer you know and feel like a real clear mission because I felt like I was being given a mission and I mean crazy things happened crazy things happened that it was like in so many different stages the projects almost fell through and did fall through even before COVID and even to the point that I was like doing this like little spell to kind of save the project that I ended up burning my hand on and going to the ER with this like scalded hand from this spell I tried to make. And so it was like, as soon as like my Jupiter return was over and like became all about like Saturn, I I just feel like the vibe of this year is so like Saturn and Pluto, you know, with with everything um, 2020 and them coming together. But it felt like all the doors were just shut. Like I was like being burned and yeah, things were getting canceled. And, and I was like, that's why I was so devastated. And again, I not like, I don't even want to compare my loss to the like loss that people have actually experienced, like with the death of, of family members during this like pandemic that I was pulling the death card a lot. Um, there was like a death vibe. to I kind of thought my relationship with like the shakers and bees was like dying in a way this year. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I already have found it's already picked back up again in very different ways. I guess what I'm saying is, yeah, my initial response was just so intense. And yeah, nothing's ever quite that easy. Or maybe like that's not the best state for kind of making these decisions and doing this work. And, you know, it's Mm. a longer journey than I think. And maybe, maybe all this stuff, you know, I was saying the shaker project, like my whole life is like the shaker project. You know, maybe it won't get finished at all, but it's okay because some other some other weirdo is going to show up with their like their like hexagonal portal. Wake <laughs> <Like> up, right? <laughs> yeah, you know, it reminds me of when people go through different awakenings, mm-hmm. spiritual awakenings, or psychic activations and things like that, and you hear about folks having you know, prophetic dreams, or they're suddenly like really tapping into some serious like psychic gifts. And that kind of like initial six months to a year of when that can happen. It's a whirlwind of like, of research and learning and being like, Oh my gosh. And and I love how you put it cracking the code. Because it's like, what what was, why was this given to me? Why was this given to me at this time? What does this mean? And I think we can easily like have, feel like a lot of responsibility, you know, like when these things, these super amazing things come through where it's like, oh, oh my gosh. Well, I was just kind of a normal person, like eating mac and cheese like five (laughs) minutes ago. (laughs) And now suddenly I've got like 
some serious stuff's being placed before me. Gee, like what now? You know what's interesting though? This I feel like this just leads straight into like a question that you you were asking me kind of about like sustaining your art practice, you know? Because my answer to, to that question would be like the slow burn. And I feel like that's also the similar answer to what when you feel like you're part of a crazy like information revelation overhaul right and you're just like what am I supposed to do it's like maybe the slow burn is you know not maxing out too quickly but really just like staying with it and you know holding that energy or whatever and help like holding it yeah like sitting with it allowing it to become part of of your experience and your reality kind of grounding into like okay here's where I am and this is like coming through and this is just another facet that's been shared with me of this and like it needs time to it might be working on a completely different timeline you know from where you've how you have been previously flowing with information and your work and stuff like that so when it comes through it's like it's it's almost like the inclination is to like speed up and to like activate more. And it, it's almost like when you get a major arcana card in a reading with someone. Oh my God, I got the Hierophant. I need to start channeling. I need to start doing this, 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 this. And it's actually like, no, you just got like this huge piece, this huge puzzle piece. It's like you discovered a damn tectonic plate or something. <laughs> like this thing could span a long time and what that might mean and how you engage with it it's like you just you opened up another world that world isn't going to be like immediately accessible all at once and thank goodness right (laughs) right right yeah i don't know it's like you're being shown what you're meant what you're meant to be shown you're not going to get something that you that you shouldn't (laughs) you know, probably, or that you don't deserve or that you're not ready for or whatever that you're not meant to have. Like, it's that's a little bit why I don't pressure myself too much to like know everything about every kind of magic. And, you know, like I was saying, I feel a little self-conscious sometimes about like what feels like a, a lack of knowledge, but, um, but it's like, I just trust what's going on. I really do. I trust that I'm like getting what I need. Yeah. That there is this kind of like, consciousness almost to the information and the opportunities and the ideas that are coming through that it's it's like it's working in its own way in time kind of just pivoting a little bit to this idea of bringing these things out into the world you know you were talking about trusting i know that there's a lot of folks who listen to this podcast who are interested in and moving beyond like traditional art forms mm-hmm. in the sense that like this song is a song that I create, you know, and, and then I'm playing a musical instrument that's a traditional art form or that I'm painting a picture or that I'm kind of accessing this art form. And the way that this art form has been presented is the way that I'm just typically engaging with it and getting more into conceptual art and getting more into like how to bring these concepts and ideas, these larger forms and such out into the world. And I'd love to hear if you have any advice 
or thoughts for people who are interested in, in getting into this kind of like larger imaginative work? There's a lot of different ways that artists work. And I think even though I know your question was specific to conceptual art, I, I think I can't say enough how much like one person's practice is just not going to look like another person's and, and how like everything about where you came from, what you're interested in, what your gifts are, what your experience is, is in, what your space is like, what you have the, the space and capacity to make or build and store, <laughs> you know, if you want to store it, if you mm -hmm. want to get rid of it, like if you're inspired by site specificity, you know, it's like, it's really a long journey in my opinion. Well, for some, for some, uh, it was, it's been a long journey for me to figure out how I work. Uh, as much as I am, I gravitate towards materials and like kind of hoard materials, almost like a magpie or something. I'm more cerebral than I maybe knew, like in the earlier part of my life. It took me a while to realize that the concepts do sort of lead with me. And, mm -hmm. you know, some people, the material leads. And I think that is so cool, too, because it's, it's like a totally different type of channeling, you know, like just shaping this thing where you've already agreed on the materials you're going to use. And so I don't, I don't want to dissuade anyone from working in, in any of those ways or act as though people should be working conceptually or as though um, when you start with material, it doesn't um, also hold in, like intelligence, you know, but I will say like, well, I was on this, I was on this show that creative time uh, put together years ago called living as form. And I just love that phrase. And I think it speaks a lot to how like, li you know, life is magic, you know, as well, like living is form and life is art and life is magic and, or like art is magic or, or anything is magic. You know, I mean, I think that's a really cool lesson that a lot of us are learning right now is that like all these small things that we do are magic and it's not all like a, a huge ritual that's been like passed down through like signs and symbols and institutions or something, you know. <laughs> and I think we were talking a little bit earlier about how like if you want to avoid, I guess, uh, feeling boxed in by like one particular medium or one sort of yeah box or shape, pigeonhole, instead of thinking, oh, I'm sort of like making this thing within this shape or within you know making this thing within this career or whatever you know if you just think um yeah like I'm making my my life into art or you just recognize that it already is and then you can sort of observe what's already happening in your life and sort of you know work with that shape that's already there I'm speaking very abstractly but you know we're talking about conceptual art you know, just find like what you're already doing or what is already coming out and just like mirror it. Yeah, with whatever, I guess, material you can or want to, or it seems to call for. You know, context is everything with art. Everything is about context, right? So you, have to, you also just have to figure out like what to do and what context and what context is, is any sort of action or object or, or, you know, word or spell sitting inside of. That's really interesting. There's there's a couple pieces that are coming through for me right now. One is I'm recalling the conversation we had earlier about the summer camp and like mm -hmm. that was a totally <laughs> witchy experience. Yes. And yet that was just living and being and playing and mm -hmm. having fun and and being in the summer experience with your friends. Mm -hmm. And yet that 
is like this this magical experience right like the community showers suddenly become a naked spell (laughs) right it is the framing it is the framing and it is the way that we decide that what things are and maybe that takes time maybe that takes processing maybe that takes reflecting on your life and like looking back and being like yep that was a spell like I used to collect all these little um, trinkets and things as a kid that were from people who had passed away that I didn't know like I would just find these objects and things and collect them and I put them in this box and now I look back and I'm like oh I always had this really deep reverence for those who passed on and I had like a little altar space and I'm like oh that was that was like a witch move like I just didn't re I didn't ever call it that I just did the thing that I loved doing that made sense to me so like now thinking about that in terms of our creative expression like instead of thinking like you know you have this box and it's like okay so i'm 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 writing this song and the song is about this well this the song the idea that it's just a song well maybe well maybe nothing is just a song you know like maybe nothing is ever just a song right it's kind of what we're saying right yeah yeah exactly it's like there are these narratives about our art forms and our expression that we're just peeling off as we allow ourselves to kind of reimagine reframe it's all very hard to talk about you know like hard to pin down it is hard to talk about but outside of like academic institutions whether it's like you know an mfa program or something like that where folks have the opportunity to go and you know spend a lot of time with like the concepts and the frames and the presentation and getting to talk a lot about context i feel like it's a really important moment for us like on this podcast to like just invite listeners in invite artists in who if you you know aren't in a program like that or something like that to just start to imagine the realm of possibilities of things that you're thinking about and feel passionate about and want to check out and different information that you're accessing, like, you know, your connection to your environment or connection to shakers or something like that. And then drawing upon what you currently have access to. I I love what you were saying about like how deeply personal it is. (laughs) Your storage, (laughs) the mediums that you use, the mediums that you feel like you're able to wield, like, all of that yeah I mean like I studied painting for like six years or whatever and and like printmaking and 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 dance actually and like undergrad I was in a really conservative program so I got out of school and I kind of stopped painting and that was like when I started playing around with other stuff because I was just like felt too weighed down by it but also like I really like working large I like working really big um, but it's like, I can't, I don't have anywhere to put these giant stretcher bars and these giant paintings. Like, and I was literally carrying them like Jesus, like down the street from my studio to my home. And so then I started working with fabric cause I wanted to work really large, but be able to fold it up. And now I'm a painter again, because people are finally letting me paint like 20,000 square foot site specific works that like, I don't have to deal with at all physically <laughs> like I, I do not have to bring anything about home except for all the leftover paint I guess but you know I just feel I feel really lucky because I'm now 
through like a almost more of a scarcity what was kind of scarcity of just like not being able to keep up with like the physicality of painting and now have the opportunity to make these like huge site-specific groundworks that I think are in conversation with like kind of like land art and also sort of like you know um like urban mural making and 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 also just the history of painting that are like in conversation with the sky and end up being kind of this like semi-permanent the basketball course particularly is being like communal altars to the sky you know where people Mm. where people gather and do athletic rituals that they're so devoted to in a spiritual way as well but yeah I mean but it's like yeah through that scarcity now I get to do something that's like way more powerful for me for my desires than um I was doing before and but it was like a very weird winding road to that you know yeah um that that I was sort of like didn't know where it was going and at the same time totally didn't know where it was going (laughs) you know (laughs) like I I knew the basketball courts were going to become spells eventually but I didn't even like for for like five years I was begging people to like let me paint the court at all and you know I had to kind of convince them through the lens of like athletics and yeah you just have to move like through it and let things grow and like again like yeah the slow burn like it took me a while to have like an art career, I guess, and feel stable at all. And to get people to like, let me make my work. I've had, I've been rejected yeah. and rejected and rejected. And, you know, I had to be like the bee lady and the basketball lady and the babysitter and all that stuff. Um, and yeah. And at 37, I mean, I'm so proud of all the work I've made and it's truly mine and it's been magical, but I feel like I'm really turning and I'm actually I feel like I'm about to start making the work that I really was building up to that's like really what I want to be doing you know hopefully from here on it feels like a turning point I love that I love that and I I love hearing just your journey and you know how you're navigating that it's it's a gift to hear someone talk so transparently about this stuff it really is it just feels like it's the truth and yet it's so hidden from us throughout art school, throughout trying to, you know, find some kind of traction in our careers, or even just as children trying to paint or dance or do any kind of artistic expression. So hearing you share your unfolding and, you know, where you are right now, it's just, it's really beautiful. Thank you. I have one last question for you, which is, what advice would you have for your younger artist self? Oh my gosh. I think I would just say you're right about it all. Like you do know what you want and you're fully capable. Like you're going to do it, <laughs> you know, cause I mean, no regrets. You can't regret, but I mean, I, I just like many other artists have spent a lot of time just doubting myself. And I think I've finally got past that, that phase of, of like, why make anything at all who cares like why would I like almost it's like oh it's so selfish to make art I mean I tell young people now like what you're making and what you want to make and what you choose to make is important it just is try not to waste your time (laughs) doubting it and also I feel like I spent a lot of my career to like kind of proving to like or trying to prove to like maybe my family or who, who in many ways have been very supportive but like in other ways not as much and like or just anyone that has doubted me and continues to I mean I still get a lot of of pushback like kind of as a femme in this in this like context and world but um 
but I think I was like trying to prove to people that I could do things for a long time. Yeah. And yeah, I think, I think if it's, if I was my young self, I would just be like, no, like, you, you know what you're doing. <laughs> and people are going to tell you, you don't know what you're doing probably until you're like 75 years old, <laughs> but you do. <laughs> oh, it's been such a gift to talk to you, Maria. And just thank you so much. My, my childhood self, if I knew I was going to be on a podcast called Art Witch, <laughs> my childhood self is like screaming. I'm so happy. It's so great. I'm so glad it exists and that you're such an amazing host and that you invited me. <laughs> thank oh, you. Thank you, friend. <laughs> if you enjoyed today's episode of Art Witch, please consider subscribing or writing a review. Each and every little bit helps spread the word to more and more people.